On today's episode of Neyland's Basement, we'll look back at last weekend, the coaching carousel, and preview the bowl season. All right, guys, welcome into the pre-bowl season, I guess, edition of Neyland's Basement. I'm your host, Tucker Harlan, alongside Dominic Throngard and Devin Hoke. Guys, I hate to do it, but I mean, we, we got to start today off on just a little bit of a somber note. Um, we're recording on Tuesday right now, and uh, as many of you guys know, Mike Leach died at the age of 61 today, and that's a significant loss for the college football world. Uh, it's a very sad day today. Um, you know, he brought an entire system of offense uh, to the game and, you know, one of the most memorable personalities in the game as well. Um, that's all I got on it. What do you guys have? Yeah, there's a million different things you can really say about Mike Leach and there's a million different fantastic stories I've read. Uh, ones that especially connect to us as student journalists because there are so many stories of Mike Leach just giving out his personal phone number to literal student journalists and inviting them to talk to him at any given time. This is a guy who was incredibly genuine at every moment. And, you know, he's it, it's it's a big loss and makes me very sad personally because he's definitely a guy that has inspired me to, you know, always be my genuine self and you know, I'm a bit of a goofy guy, too, as you can tell on this podcast. And Mike Leach definitely inspires me in that way. Rest in peace to a legend. Yeah, Mike Leach, uh, you know, he's not just a legendary coach, but he was also a legendary person, uh, had an incredible personality. And, yeah, as Dom just said, he was always authentically himself. And not many, you know, you don't really think that about many people or coaches, but he definitely was. You know, he could have been a lawyer and he ends up being a college football coach instead. And even though he never played college football himself, uh, he was such an amazing coach and, and he really has revolutionized the game forever. I mean, guys like, uh, you know, even Tennessee's head coach, Josh Heupel, you know, wouldn't really be around and, and coaching the scheme the way he is if Mike Leach hadn't existed and invented the air raid the way he did. Know, Lane Kiffin wouldn't have his style uh, without Mike Leach. Uh, and so many other great coaches today were heavily inspired by Leach and what he's done uh, for the offense, especially, and, and for the game. So a uh, huge loss, uh, not only for the college football world, but just the world in general. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's been a tough year for Mississippi State. I mean, this is the second death they've had this season. First, I think one of their walk-ons, I forget at what point in the season, but he died earlier in the season. And, of course, this is this is one of their – this is the biggest blow by a mile. Um, I can't remember the last time a head coach died while the season was still going on. So, it's tough for them for sure. Um, but right now it looks like they do plan on playing – in their bowl game, which, I mean, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, it would be it would be shocking to me if they actually went through and played the yeah, bowl game. It, that, it would that's, be very surprising. That's the plan for the moment. But um, obviously, there's a lot of things that will still play out. Um, 
but I don't want to dwell on this for too long because I mean we could we could talk about this all day and it's not a very uplifting topic. So with that being said, let's get on into what happened over the weekend. Not really a whole lot going on at all, actually. Uh, I mean, the only game was Army Navy. Army beat Navy twenty to seventeen in double overtime. This was really as Army Navy as you could get. Uh, the midshipmen they fumbled the ball on the one yard line in the second overtime. They pretty much gave this one to Army, and Army finished the year six and six. The only thing is, I don't. I'd have to look into this a little bit more, but I don't know if they clinched a bowl game by doing this or not because I saw a five and seven team sitting in there for a second, but. I'll have to look at that, but yeah, good win for Army. They haven't won this game in a couple of years. Yeah, I believe they didn't clinch a bowl game because two of those wins came over FCS opponents. Yeah, and that's why they're not going to one. But yeah, I mean, very, very typical Army Navy game. Uh, I believe there wasn't a thrown touchdown until overtime, but um, just you know, it's the Army Navy game and. It's always a great spectacle, but the main story with that one is definitely what happens with the coach over there at Navy. Yeah, and and what's shocking to me is in the 120, what, 123-year history between Army and Navy, uh, they've never had an overtime game. This was the very first one. Uh, Shocking. Like, I thought I would have thought for sure that would have happened at some point, and it hadn't happened until then. Uh, what's fascinating about Army not being bowl eligible or not clinching a bowl game is that New Mexico State also beat a couple of FCS teams and they to go six and six. Yet they're going to a bowl game um, for like only like the second time in 60 years or something crazy like that. So um, we'll have to see uh, again. Who knows if Mississippi State doesn't play in the Relia Quest Bowl, maybe that opens up a spot for Army somehow, uh, possibly. But, you know, that's just, you know, hypotheticals. Uh, but even if, if this other season ends, obviously, I mean, this victory is better than any bowl game victory that you could get as if you're one of these schools. Yeah, so uh, a couple other small things to touch on from this weekend. We, of course, had the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Caleb Williams took home the Heisman and... This one, I mean, when you look at the four finalists, it's not too surprising that he took it. I mean, obviously that game against Utah in the Pac-12 championship, you know, may may have stalled out the momentum just a little bit, but I don't I I still don't think that there was anybody that really deserved it over him that was there in New York. Yeah, I feel like I'm inclined to agree. I you could make a slight case for Duggan just because I think with the circumstances of TCU, it's a lot different and a bit more impressive what he's done at a school that does not have the same opportunity as USC. But Caleb Williams had a phenomenal season. I think he definitely earned this Heisman. A lot of people didn't really want him to get it just because of more so off the field stuff. They didn't like how he painted his nails or whatever, which I thought was a little bit goofy. I I love a player with a little bit of personality. I don't care what kind of personality that is. If you're showing it out there on the field, I respect it. So, you know, I think this was a good Heisman overall. Beyond, obviously beyond the fact that Hooker got completely snubbed. Yeah, and and I think pretty much everybody knows and almost everybody would agree, except for Georgia fans probably, that that Hendon Hooker absolutely got snubbed, especially when I think Chris Fowler, so like at the end, if I remember the ceremony correctly, he said that Hendon Hooker won the fan vote of the Heisman Trophy, which again was... You know, a lot of that was due to Tennessee fans, of course, being 
angry that Hooker did not get the invite, and so they flooded, uh, you know, in droves the the fan voting because, of course, for a moment it was looking like Stetson Bennett was going to win the fan vote, and people in Tennessee they said, "No way in hell is that happening." So people sent it around, people flooded it, uh, and Hooker won the fan vote despite not being there, which uh, you know makes the Heisman Trust Committee look a little embarrassing, um, but. Williams, fully deserving winner. His season was special. And if you watch those games, the offensive line broke down for USC so many times. I know he brought his line there, but really they were, you know, kind of iffy throughout the season. He had to scramble and make things happen. He just carried that team up and down uh, the the field. And hopefully uh, he'll be healthy enough to play in their bowl game. Yeah, so let's talk about Tennessee again, but this is not a snub. Jalen Hyatt won the Bulletnikoff Award, first receiver in Tennessee history to do so. Kelsey Pope, in his first year as the Tennessee receivers coach, has himself a Bulletnikoff Award winner. That's pretty outstanding. Yeah, Pope has done an insanely remarkable job with all of the receivers here at Tennessee. And I love how every single receiver very much is playing to their strengths. Jalen Hyatt, He's got great speed. He's got great hands. They send him way down the field. And then Brew McCoy, he's got that incredible strength. It feels like they almost use him as a tight end. And then obviously Tillman was our go-to guy whenever we were running screenplays. He's doing a really good job at playing everyone to their strong suits. And that's what I love about this guy. But finally, an award uh, by national media where Tennessee does not get completely done wrong because that has been a trend for far too long. And, you know, there's a reason why it always feels like it's Tennessee against the world. And for once, we beat the world. Yeah, and, and if you look at the, you know, award and the finalists, it really wasn't even close. People tried to make the claim, oh, it's so close between him and Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. was not that much of a factor for Ohio State at the beginning of the season. The second half, yeah, he was incredible. But Hyatt's been the guy all season long. He was dominating against Ball State as well. He, he was there for the team right away. And of course, his Alabama performance uh, will go down in history as one of the most iconic performances. Like if he makes, you know, when he makes it to the NFL and he, if he's doing really good, they'll put up throwback videos of, you know, remember when he did this against Alabama, you know, type stuff, because it, that, that performance is just an all-time great performance. Uh, and if you look at the numbers, it wasn't even close. He deserved to win this award by a mile. Okay, so that is going to do it for last weekend. Obviously not a ton going on there. There were other college football awards, but we won't get into those as, you know, those were a little bit more chalky and, you know, obvious. So moving on to the coaching carousel. Uh, Dominic mentioned this just a second ago, but Ken Matalolo is out at Navy. That is after 15 seasons. One of the longer tenured coaches in all of FPS. And, you know, this for service academies, they, they don't experience a whole lot of turnover. So this is definitely something that we haven't seen much of before. And I'll be interested to see who takes over just because of the nature of some of j- just the way that these uh, service academies uh, bring in guys. Yeah, it's always interesting to see what they do exactly. And I feel like Navy is one of those service academies that sticks a little bit closer to the service academy tradition than a school like Air Force, who I do feel like actually pushes the boundaries a little bit there. But yeah, no, the story with this one, apparently I heard that uh, 
Ken after the game, he was sitting alone yeah. and the athletic director came up to him, fired him on the spot. Uh, you can't lose the army Navy game. If you're going to coach at Navy, that's pretty much the story there. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a whole business of what have you done for me lately? You know, football at all levels is kind of like that. Yes. Ken has a good record with the school overall, but these last three seasons, uh, Navy has not been very impressive at all. I think this is the right move for the Academy to make, uh, Ken, Something about him, he was just stalling out. It's like his philosophy wasn't working anymore, and he wasn't innovating or adapting. So it was time for him to go. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what Navy does just because, I mean, like like I said, the service academy guys, I mean, you look now, Troy Calhoun and uh, is, is it Jeff Munkin? Not Todd Munkin, it's Jeff Munkin, yeah, right? I think it's That's there. Yeah. Yeah, they've all been, they've all been there for so long, so they're going to bring in somebody that probably has a history of you know continuity somewhere. So we'll see what it ends up playing out or how it ends up playing out. Uh, over to Louisville now, they hired Jeff Brom away from Purdue, and to me this makes total sense because he was the quarterback of Louisville back in the day, and you know he's a Louisville guy. Hopefully this works out well though, because then you could end up maybe with a little bit of bad blood if things don't go the right way and there's a ruined relationship with Braun, but overall I think this is a good move. Yeah, definitely, definitely an upgrade for Louisville. Um, I I don't really see any reason why Louisville should not have made this move. It makes perfect sense. It's always good to get a guy who used to play at your school to come coach the team because usually it puts the ball completely in your court as well, where they're just going to be able to keep extending him if he does a good job, because that's very obviously exactly where he wants to be. Yeah. And, and I think this is a brilliant, brilliant move by Louisville. I think this is actually one of the best coaching hires period of, of all the college coaches that we've seen. Just look at how, he, what he's done with so little at Purdue. He's, he's managed to make Purdue a consistent competitive team that has a chance at knocking off top five teams. He made them into the spoiler makers uh, because he's able to get the best out of his team. And we even with a significant talent uh, edge going to the other side. And even in the Big Ten championship game, yeah, they lost, but they played pretty hard for him. And they made, gave it a good effort. You know with that kind of coach, you're going to get a great effort from your team. And you always have a chance at a winning season. Yes, yeah, so I, th- I think this is definitely going to be a good move for Louisville. I think this will really help them out going forward because I think I think he'll have a little bit more to work with than he did at Purdue. So it should be good overall for both parties here. Uh, out west now, Troy Taylor hired by Stanford. Uh, he was the coach at Sacramento State this year. They did quite well uh, in the FCS playoff run. I mean, they, they're out now, but they did quite well. It'll be interesting to see the transition, though, because you don't always see – an FCS guy jump into the power five. I mean, I know, I think it was Craig bowl that jumped in at Wyoming from North Dakota state, but that's not power five. So it's not a move that we see very often. I'm interested to see how it plays out. Yeah, it is very interesting to see a guy make that big of a jump, especially with a power five job, but he did an incredible job at Sac state. I mean, this season they were, uh, I believe undefeated right up until they lost in the playoffs and, they lost that game by a score of 66 to 63. So quite the high scoring affair there. This is a guy that knows how to make some offense happen. I think I think it's honestly a good hire too. It's good to keep a guy from in-state as well. 
especially with a school like Stanford, I feel like it keeps to their identity, even though, you know, Northern California, Central California, two very different animals, but I think it's a good hire overall. Yeah, absolutely. Troy Taylor's uh, team with Sacramento State this year was amazing, and especially considering that uh, Sacramento State, even for the FCS level, was just very mediocre. And then this season, they really broke through and dominated. They were the number two overall seed in the whole playoffs before they got upset by uh, Incarnate Word. And now, of course, Incarnate Word's going to have their chance at North Dakota State uh, in the next round. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I mean, his, his season with Sacramento State, incredible uh, see year with the Hornets. Uh, he absolutely deserves this opportunity. This was a brilliant under-the-radar hire by Stanford, in my opinion. It's going to make the Cardinal fun again. Yeah, the, the Pac-12 has become very interesting. We saw a, a higher amount of ranked teams this year, it felt like, than we have in a long time with the Pac-12. Of course, you've got Coach Prime coming into Colorado as well. This is shaping up to be a pretty deep conference, and Troy Taylor may have his work cut out for him at Stanford. So it may be tough sledding for a bit, but I think he could potentially get them back to where they need to be. Uh, so we talked a little bit about Jeff Braun going away from Purdue to Louisville. Purdue has found their man today. It is Illinois defensive coordinator Ryan Walters. Um, the Illinois defense was lights out this season. He did a great job there. The only question I have, though, is, I mean, the one thing that really separated Purdue from all of these other Big Ten West teams was the fact that they were able to produce on offense. If you don't have the right offensive coordinator, you just become like everybody else. So I, I don't really know how to feel about this hire because of that. I mean, if he doesn't find the right offensive coordinator, I think the Boilermakers are going back into obscurity. Yeah, I definitely agree. And right now in college football, it feels like the trend is defensive coordinators who get hired don't turn out too well as head coaches. Um, I feel like offensive coordinators who turn into coaches have become a lot more successful in recent years with college football just because of how much the game has really changed. And, you know, shout out to Mike Leach for how much the game has changed. But I think this is not the best of hires, especially from another school within the same conference. I just feel like that it's not it's not a good look. The optics on that are not great. It makes Purdue look second rate. And I feel like Purdue is just trending very much downwards now. The other problem with Purdue is they can't recruit at the same level as these other teams in their own division, like Wisconsin, of course. Um, even Minnesota recruits a little bit better. And if Brett Bielema keeps things going with Illinois, then Illinois is going to recruit better than Purdue too. So they're basically becoming like these other teams yet with less talent um, and they'll lose the line of scrimmage and they'll just end up losing these slow, painful death games now. So yeah, I, I don't like the move by Purdue. Uh, you know, maybe this was the best they could get, but yeah, losing Brom here all of a sudden, it shows how devastating that was for the Boilermakers. Yeah, Devin, I think you're on point about the whole slow, painful death thing. I mean, that's that just feels like what's going to happen throughout this division in the Big Ten West because, I mean, I don't see anything from either Luke Fickle or Matt Rule that would lead me to believe that they will significantly improve offensively. So. I, I just don't see much out there that is really separating one team from another. And you could call that just good competition, but I mean, at the same time, you're having to watch some 
horrendous quarterback play. So <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's really that big of an improvement. Yeah, we'll oh, we'll we'll see. I mean, well, Fickle. I mean, yeah. he did get Desmond Ritter, you know, at Cincinnati, and he did make him really good. So maybe he can get Wisconsin a great quarterback. But, yeah. The only thing yeah, is that we'll is not see. in Wisconsin's DNA. I mean, outside of no. Russell Wilson for the what one two years that they had him, they haven't had any quarterback that's just been able to tear people up. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of ugly football, a lot of fourteen ten, a lot of nine six going on out there in the Big Ten West. All right, now for what you guys have all been waiting for, the bowl games. Uh, we talked just a little bit about these last week. We're gonna hit as many of them as we can that are important, that are relevant. Uh, let's start off. We're going to go chronologically here. We've got the Cure Bowl. That is this Friday. This is a ranked matchup. Number 24, Troy, taking on number 25, UTSA. Both of these teams finished 11-2, and conference champions of their respective conferences. Should be an all-out offensive war, I think. Yeah, I'm definitely inclined to agree. This is a very exciting matchup, and both these teams have really – really proved themselves this season against some tough competition. And honestly, I feel like they could deserve a little bit better of a bowl game potentially just with the slack we have sort of seen in the power five, but I still think this is going to be a very fun matchup. And I like that these guys get to go against each other. It's sort of a battle of teams that may be a little bit underrated. Yeah, absolutely. I think this actually has the potential to be one of the top five bowl games uh, when we look back at the end of the season in terms of entertainment, in terms of actually being good quality, because both these teams are very good quality, both conference champions here. What's interesting about it is, you know, UTSA is such a dangerous passing attack with Frank Harris, Zakari Franklin, uh, you know, and I'm just assuming that these guys are all going to play. Yeah, um, Frank Harris even said he's going to come back next year, so we're oh, done okay, with yeah. that. He, so we're going to see him next year in Neyland. Oh, ab- oh, well, that's exciting. Yeah, because yeah, he's a fantastic yeah. – I mean, he could potentially be potentially an NFL prospect. He's very balanced. He runs well, but he's a passer first, and he's very efficient. So I like watching him play. Uh, on the other side, you got Gunnar Watson for Troy, and, you know, he's not – the greatest quarterback however utsa secondary has been very weak at times and so watson i believe will have a fantastic day against utsa however if it gets into a shootout which is probably what i'm expecting to happen i think the road runners just have more offensive capabilities and they'll end up pulling away in a close one close one maybe like a field goal to a touchdown in a shootout i got utsa winning it yeah, I'm going to go with the Roadrunners here as well. I just think, you know, the fact that they had a good season last year, you know, they've been there before. They know what they're doing. I like them to win this one in a pretty close game. I think it will be a high-scoring affair. Dom, you got anything on predictions? Ooh, I'm going to roll with Troy on this one just because okay. I feel like I feel like they're momentum killers. They stopped, uh, they stopped a lot of good teams, and I feel like they're going to be able to continue that here. I got, I got a good feeling about these guys. I can't quite tell you why, but I just do. All right. Uh, over to the Fenway Bowl now. Uh, this is not a brand-new bowl game. This thing has actually been in existence for three years, but it's been canceled twice because of COVID. We're hoping it finally happens now. And we talked a little bit about this game last week, and I think this has got a potential to be a very interesting game just because of the storyline. Cincinnati versus Louisville. 
the Scott Satterfield Bowl is what this has become because Scott Satterfield hopped from Louisville to Cincinnati. Who do we like in this one? You know, I really don't know who I like in this one. Both these teams are a little bit of a mess right now, post-coaching carousel. And I don't I don't know if anyone's really going to come to play to this one. Uh, I, I don't think either of these teams are going to be terribly motivated just because they probably feel abandoned by their coaches and not too invested in the new guys. But I think that Cincinnati just has the better raw talent out of the two teams, and they're going to be able to win this one. Yeah, and, and what's also interesting about this is both these teams were former Big East rivals back when that conference existed in football. They used to play each other a bunch. So they do have some history for sure. Uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a very ugly game in, in the Fenway Bulls debut. Uh, I, I think it's dumb that coaches can't come in and coach in the bowl game for their new teams right away. I don't understand why there has to be a transition period. I really don't understand why there has to be a transition period for transfer portal players as well. If you get a player that's coming into your school, like, for example, Sean Holden with Oregon, um, I don't understand why Holden couldn't suit up and play for the Ducks right away, why he has to wait all the way till next season. However, um, I think Cincinnati is going to win this game. They you know, will win the line of scrimmage. I think they'll end up running the ball effectively. And their defense is still very, very good. And because Malik Cunningham is not going to play for Louisville, if he was playing, I'd be inclined to pick the Cardinals because Cunningham can be a difference maker. But because he's not going to play, uh, yeah, I got Cincinnati winning this one. Yeah, Devin, I was just about to look that up, and I'm glad you brought it up because Malik Cunningham is a huge piece of that Louisville team. And without him, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. So I like the Bearcats to win that one because of his absence. Uh, over to Las Vegas now. We've got Florida versus number 14, Oregon State, and there's really not a lot to discuss here. I mean, Oregon State's going to win big just because of Florida's quarterback situation. Um, Anthony Richardson has opted out in preparation for the draft. Jalen Kitna was arrested on child pornography cha- charges um, a couple weeks ago, and he's been dismissed from the team. So, They'll be on Jack Miller, their number three guy, and I, I just don't see a way that Florida wins this game. Yeah, there is no way in the world that Florida comes anywhere near winning this game. Uh, I I still think it's really funny, though, to hear Anthony Richardson is not opting out to prepare for the draft yes. after having an abysmal season, <laughs> uh, a season where he looks like he can't run an offense, he can't do any of the things he need a quarterback to do. But, I mean – Maybe maybe he's prepping to be a running back. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I'm not too impressed with Richardson at all. Uh, he seems like a perfect quarterback fit for the Indianapolis Colts to draft and uh, mess around with <laughs> and be mediocre. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, Jack Miller, he was a pretty raw prospect, you know, at or at, oh, sorry, at Ohio State. Um, but, yeah, clearly he hasn't done enough. Maybe he has a huge game. But if Oregon State loses, man, this would be massively embarrassing for the Pac-12. I mean, Florida's already knocked off Utah from the beginning of the season, who ended up being the Pac-12 champions. So the Pac-12 cannot afford to lose to Florida again. And I don't think they will. I think Jonathan Smith, who's one of the best coaches in all of college football, 
runs the ball effectively through the Gators, especially with their opt-outs in the front seven. Dude, those are way more important than Richardson. Uh, they have two guys along that defensive line, I believe, that are opting out for the draft. And if they're not playing, I mean, Fenwick and Martinez is just gonna are just gonna run over this Gators defense. Yeah, I I just don't see a way that they can get it done. Uh, over to L.A. now. Washington State taking on Fresno State. This one I haven't looked into as much. I know that there are some. There's a trio at Fresno State, an offensive trio that's very good, and Jay Kaner, Ronnie Rivers, and uh, Cropper. That's the receiver's mm. name. Uh, the three of them are very good. Washington State, of course, speaking of Mike Leach, still very much an air raid team. I don't really know what to think about this one, though. Yeah, this one's going to be a fun one, I think, because Washington State has had a very good season. They, they've only lost to ranked teams. That Their only losses have come against the Pac-12's ranked teams. So they've had a very, very solid season, especially considering how they have been in the past, not one of the better Pac-12 teams. And now, you know, they're moving up in the world. And then Fresno State, they were able to knock off Boise State in the uh, Mountain West Championship on the blue. That's always hard to do. So these are both teams that have proved themselves in their respective conferences where they usually have been a, either a doormat or a little brother. So I, in this one, though, I think Washington State takes it just because they face tougher, tougher competition and Fresno State hasn't quite been challenged too much yet. I'm actually going to roll with Fresno State to win this game just because I think that offensive trio that's just mentioned, Tucker, is – unreal once they get going. I mean, the connection between Hayner and Cropper is fantastic. Uh, Cougars are having some guys transferring out uh, that I believe will be big losses on offense. Um, and, and ultimately, I think it'll come down to a shootout where the Bulldogs will just have a little bit more firepower than the Cougars and end up winning this game. Um, and I think this will be this has potential to be a really, really exciting bowl game as well. But I got Fresno State because of the momentum they're on. I think they'll get a 10-win season. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm still going back and forth here. I'm. I think I'm gonna lean with the Bulldogs, though. I just think the trio will be too explosive. It. It'll be a good game. Ultimately, it's going to be a good game. But I think Fresno State can get it done in the end, just because of the run that they're on right now. All right, Armed Forces Bowl. Now we've got Baylor, who is six and six, taking on Air Force, who sits at nine and three. I've not really been high on this Baylor offense all year long. I mean, they just lack skill players. I feel like in comparison to previous years and air force they're a tough team to get in the bowl game i know uh washington state and louisville have had tough matchups against them where they've come out on the wrong side against air force so i'm actually going to roll with the falcons here i think that they'll get it done in a very ugly game i definitely agree air force is one of those teams that they will shock you uh they're always a wild card team you never you never really know what you're quite going to get, and they're always going to have some sort of weird thing going on with their offense. I used to see them come through a lot at Boise State, and whenever they did, it was always a bit scary because they used to run, I don't know if they still do, but they used to run this ridiculous like quadruple option nonstop, and you'd never know where the ball was going. So I, I'm taking Air Force in this one just because I think they have a more exciting air about them, and Baylor has just been very eh all season. Yeah, Blake Shapen has been very up and down at quarterback for Baylor. Part of that is because he doesn't really have much. I mean, other than Ben Sims, the tight end, I mean, he doesn't have much of anybody to throw to. Uh, you know, their ground game has been strong, but Air Force, they can shut down the ground game. So 
I think this could be a defensive battle as well, but one that Air Force comes out on top in. All right, over to Tampa now. We've got the Gasparilla Bowl. Wake Forest taking on Missouri. I mean, Missouri just disappoints the SEC every bowl season, it feels like. I mean, I I, I don't see a way that they really come out on top of this one or impress anybody or anything. I know it's been a disappointing stretch for Wake Forest, too, but with Sam Hartman, I trust him just a little bit more than I do Brady Cook. Yeah, I definitely have to agree. Uh, Wake Forest, at times they've looked like a very good team. It's just the turnover bug has destroyed that team. And they just ended up having a real bad spell of games there for a little while. I, I could see Mizzou being dangerous in this one just with, if Brady Cook is on, this is a team that very much could compete in this game. But I, I'm a lot more inclined to believe in Sam Hartman than I am Brady Cook. You know what? I actually like the projection that Missouri is going on now. I think the Tigers uh, pull off a mini upset here and, and upset Wake Forest in this game. I think Brady Cook is effective on both the ground and through the air. And Wake Forest, you know, you don't have to be a great quarterback to beat them. You just have to be an okay quarterback to beat them because their defense is really, really abysmal. Uh, so I think Brady Cook has one of his better games of the season, and Missouri ends up running all over uh, Wake Forest and, and wins this game uh, in a pretty high-scoring game. All right, then. So over to Phoenix, we've got the guaranteed rate bowl. And this this is really just the bowl game to end your season on a not-so-disappointing note here. It's Oklahoma State versus Wisconsin. Both of these teams had fairly high expectations this year, and they have been on nosedives all season long. Um, I mean, it's really difficult to tell which team will come in here with more momentum. I honestly think it's Wisconsin that's got more just because of what we've seen with Spencer Sanders transferring out. He, I think he meant more to that team than Graham Mertz meant to Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely with you, Tucker. I just think that Oklahoma State, they, they had very, very high expectations this season. Wisconsin, they had decently, they had decent expectations, but I don't think they were expecting to go to the playoff because I know some people were super hot on Oklahoma state thought they had a shot to get into the playoff. And, you know, the only shot that Oklahoma state was able to get off was into their own foot. And they have just looked really disappointing throughout the season and Wisconsin, they've been able to get back on track to a degree after firing Paul Christ, which I still don't think was the best move, but they they've been able to have a decent season here towards the end. And I just think that, Oklahoma State is too disappointed to try in the guaranteed rate bowl. Yeah. I, I mean, this one's tricky because coaching matchup, I mean, Mike Gundy being Oklahoma State's head coach definitely gives Oklahoma State that coaching edge for sure. Uh, losing Spencer Sanders is so tough, but they've got some talented backups at quarterback as well. I'm going to pick Oklahoma State to win in a close one. I think Gundy somehow finds a way to motivate his guys and come away with a close, tough, you know, lower scoring, but but tough physical game. And I think the Cowboys come out on top. All right. Up next, we have got UCF and Duke. That is in the military bowl that I believe is in Annapolis. So, yeah, these are two teams that 
could not be more opposite of each other. Duke, very defensive philosophy that they got right there with Mike Elko. He's done a great job there with that defense. UCF, on the other hand, very offensive team. Maybe not as strong on the defensive end. I still like the Knights to get the win, though, for some reason. Yeah, I, I like Gus Malzahn. I think he's a good coach. And Duke, they've had a really impressive season uh, by Duke standards. But this UCF team, I don't know. I just, uh, they still got that offensive game that I, I like. I like the way they run their offense. Duke, they've had that good defensive game, but I feel like UCF is, they're just a team who's been here before. I, I think Duke's offense is very underrated with Riley Leonard at quarterback. Uh, they seem to, you know, effectively move the ball down the field somewhat. And UCF, these last few games, UCF has not been very impressive. They almost lost to USF, of course, is 1-11. And, and yes, it's a rivalry, but still. Uh, and then dominated uh, by Tulane in the championship game. And even before that, UCF. And then UCF, of course, lost to Navy. Um, so the way their season has ended, I just don't like that. So I'm going with Mike Elko and Duke to get this victory. All right. Up next, here, here's a fun one for us. The Liberty Bowl. Kansas versus Arkansas or Kansas versus Arkansas, whatever you want to have it. They're both six and six. They come into this game. Kansas comes in with a little bit more momentum. Obviously, this is their first game, their first bowl game in 13 years that they've been to. And uh, or no, it's, it's 14 years. It's, it was it's their best record that they've had in 13 years. That's what I'm screwing it up with. And uh, Arkansas, on the other hand, had high expectations this year. They've not lived up to those. Um, but I mean, this this is so tricky though because I feel like Arkansas has still got momentum, knowing that you've got KJ Jefferson coming back. And I, you know, with Kansas not being there in so long, I, I just feel like the edge goes to Arkansas here for some reason. Yeah, and it's SEC athletes versus a Big 12 school that has been kind of demoted to this basement status for a long time. So the talent gap, it will be wide. And, you know, I as much as I love Kansas, I feel like Arkansas definitely hasn't beat there. But, you know, I think the Kansas magic, I think it's going to come back a little bit here. I, I don't think you get to your first bowl game in forever and lose it. I think this team is very motivated to get the job done. And Arkansas, they're they're not as motivated, especially with their expectations from the start of the season. I think that Kansas gets it done here, even though they've been on a bit of a skid. I think this is where they turn it around and end their season on a high note. I actually think Arkansas is going to win this game because, again, the talent gap is really wide for this one. And Kansas, you know, they started the season so hot, but losing five of their last six, they, they've really just almost been going back to uh, almost back to where they were before. I mean, they're still much better, but, you know, they, they were really falling apart at the end of the season. Arkansas, of course, fell apart a little bit at the end of the season, too. But I think those guys are going to be desperate to avoid a losing season and, and, and a losing season for Arkansas here would be a massive, massive disappointment. So I think the Hogs do come out with the, that kind of motivation and win this game. All right, Holiday Bowl now. Number 15, Oregon taking on North Carolina. North Carolina has fallen a lot over the last couple of weeks. Oregon, 
on the other hand, I mean, yeah, they had a bit of a disappointing Civil War, but all in all, a pretty good season up there for Dan Lanning in his first year in Eugene. I like the Ducks to get it done. Yeah, I I think I have to side with you. I think that Oregon has been a lot more consistent than North Carolina has. Oregon's faced some really solid competition. North Carolina had a weak ACC this year, so I think that their wins – and they're, the way that they looked really good on offense is a little bit more of a byproduct of the fact that their competition level wasn't as high this year as it has been in the past. But Oregon had a very tough Pac-12 this year, and they looked very good throughout the season. Even in their losses, besides the Georgia one, they still played pretty close games. So I, I like Bo Nix and, and company to get it done. Yeah, I think Oregon comes out pretty strong and, and cleans house and beats North Carolina pretty good. I, I mean, you, you couldn't have thought of a worse way to end the season for the Tar Heels. They just really went way downhill. Uh, I see Oregon winning this one uh, in a very fun matchup for a while, but ultimately maybe by at least two scores. Yeah, it's certainly what it's feeling like. Um, Texas Bowl. Ole Miss taking on Texas Tech. Ole Miss finished the year eight and four, just a little bit disappointing. Texas Tech, on the other hand, they finished seven and five. They get that win over Oklahoma in overtime to end this season. However, they, there's been a revolving door with their quarterbacks, though. They can't seem to settle on just one guy. Uh, Donovan Smith, I believe, is out the door now. He's hit the portal. Tyler Shuck was the guy that they started, I believe, last game, and he he was the one that came over from Oregon and is now there. So this one, I, I th- I'm going to trust Ole Miss here. Uh, and oddly enough, I think the last time these two played each other, it was in Houston in a regular season game back in 2018. So it's it's an interesting matchup here for that reason. But I, I like the Rebels to get it done. Honestly, I I agree with you. I think that Ole Miss is just in a bit better shape than Texas Tech right now. And that Ole Miss run game has been ridiculous all season long. I think that Texas Tech is just going to get beaten to the ground by the run game and really get taken out of this game pretty early on. But, you know, I think think Ole Miss, one of their guys, will have a huge run early on. It'll just all momentum will favor Ole Miss, and it'll be their game from the get-go. Yeah, I, I want to see Texas Tech win this game. I want to see Joey McGuire beat uh, Lane Kiffin, and especially since Kiffin has not done very well in bowl games uh, recently. But I have to agree with Dom also. I think the line of scrimmage is just where Ole Miss is going to win the game. I know Texas Tech has one prospect on the defensive line that is legit uh, first-round NFL talent, but he's likely going to opt out. So I think Ole Miss is probably going to pound the rock on them and, and, and beat them pretty good. All right. Speaking of opt-outs, we are going to talk about the Pinstripe Bowl now. And this is just the Pinstripe Bowl of Pinstripe Bowls, let me tell you. Syracuse and Minnesota, two teams that could not be happier to have seven or eight wins. Now, why did I say this was about opt-outs? Well, because the running backs are everything for this team. Sean Tucker and Mo Ibrahim have been great all season long. And if one of them opt out, one of them opts out and the other does not, I think that's going to be indicative of this. I'm not going to drop a prediction here, but I think that's just how it's going to play out. Yeah, it, I, I feel the same way. Although I think that Syracuse has the quarterback advantage for sure. Um, Schrader's looked good throughout the season. He had some really great games. So I, I'm rolling with Syracuse here just because of the quarterback skill level. And I think that, 
Minnesota is going to struggle to produce a lot of offense just because, you know, the Big Ten team, Big Ten team that likes to run. Yeah, I, I like Syracuse in this matchup also. Uh, you know, Dino Babers is not my most favorite coach. However, he's got some momentum rolling now. And I saw he even landed a huge transfer offensive lineman from Alabama transferred to Syracuse uh, just yesterday or a couple days ago. So he's got picking up some big wins on the transfer portal and he, and he really saved his job this year because he was on the hot, hot seat. And then they pulled off a win against Purdue. They pulled off some other huge wins. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, even though the season did not end the way that they were hoping based on their start, I still think, They've got some good momentum heading for them for the future, and I think it's going to continue with this bowl game. All right, on to the first of the Cheez-It Bowls that we are going to have this winter. Uh, Oklahoma taking on number 13, Florida State. This is kind of an odd matchup just because one of these teams has a 9-3 and three record, the other's got a 6-6 six and six record. I think there must be some belief that Oklahoma can hang around that with FSU. Um, but, you know, the question I have about this is, you know, does, does Oklahoma have what it takes to play against a defense that has, you know, been good at times this year? I mean, I don't feel like Oklahoma's been all that solid defensively. So I'm going to go with Florida State in this one just because, you know, this this game is pretty much a home game for them. I mean, it's what, in Orlando, if I'm not mistaken? So I think that's going to help them out a lot. Yeah, I, I think that Florida State definitely wins this one. And it's been a weird season for Oklahoma. I mean, obviously, with the hire of uh, their coach, Venerables, um, we expected a defensive Oklahoma team, and yet it's still felt like a Lincoln-Riley team almost. I mean, this team has been about Dylan Gabriel and how well the quarterback can play. So it's it's a weird year for Oklahoma. And I think this bowl game is just one of those unfortunate products of uh, conference tie-ins. And so I think I think we just get a bad matchup because of that. But, yeah, I mean, Florida State's going to beat Oklahoma pretty badly. Yeah, I, Florida State looks like the obvious pick. They got home field advantage, much better team across the board. Uh, and Oklahoma's losing Theo Weiss, too. He's opting out of this game. He was a big-time receiver that Dylan Gabriel won't have. I assume the Sooners will have more opt-outs and, and, and people leaving because their season was just a disappointment. I doubt uh, hardly any Florida State players will opt out or sit out of this one. So I think they'll just destroy Oklahoma. It won't even be close. Uh, Jordan Travis versus, uh, you know, will have a great game. And, and Florida State will pull away. All right. Up next, we've got one that Devin mentioned last week, the Alamo Bowl, number 12, Washington, going at it with number 20, Texas. Uh, of course, Washington finished the year 10-2, and two, Texas 8-4. and four. Doesn't look like opt-outs will be too big of a story here for this one, but if somebody were to opt out, it would probably be Bijan Robinson. If I had to guess, that's just pure speculation. Uh Texas shouldn't have anybody else significant opt out, and I don't think Washington does either. So, with that being said, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Washington on this one. I actually like the Huskies to get it done here. Yeah, I think what I think that um, Bijan is a game changer. So I, I'm really curious to see his status for this one in particular because this will be a fun game, even if he is out. I think that both these teams have the talent level to keep up with each other 
with opt-outs being a factor. But if Bijan plays, he builds a lot of momentum for this Texas team. He's responsible for a lot of their offense and just how he sets it up because he's able to always break off at least four yards, it feels like. That guy is unstoppable when he gets his legs moving. Uh, He's been incredible to watch all season long. And if he's present, I think Texas wins this one because Washington, they're a little bit more based on that uh, passing offense. And Texas, I feel like they will just wear down Washington if they're able to keep that run game going. Yeah, and and it'll be interesting to see this situation because it almost reminds me of when uh, Washington played Penn State in this great Fiesta Bowl a few years ago where Penn State had Saquon Barkley. And originally Saquon was supposed to opt out. He wasn't going to play in the game, but he was on the sideline with the team and and Washington started winning the game. And James Franklin was like, okay, never mind, Saquon. We need you in this game here. And he goes in, scores three touchdowns, and Penn State beats him. And then he's like, okay, now, now you're good. Um, we'll see if, you know, if that happens with Bijan Robinson. Um, however, I like the Huskies to win this game a lot. Penix is the most underrated quarterback in the entire country by far, in my opinion. He's put up insane stats. Rome Odunze is an incredible receiver, and they've got multiple other receivers as well that are fantastic. Uh, they've got a great run game. I think the offense is just going to be too much for Texas's defense to stop. Uh, so even if Robinson plays or doesn't, I mean, even if he doesn't, they have Roshan Johnson, who's a pretty great running back himself. Uh, but regardless, I think it'll be the Texas defense that lets them down. The Huskies put up way too much points uh, and win this game. All right, over to the Dukes-Mayo Classic out in Charlotte. We've got a clash of two old ACC foes, Maryland versus number 23, NC State. NC State will have a lot of people there, but you're not going to notice it because the entire stadium is probably just going to be painted red. Uh, But I still like NC State to get it done, though. I think they've really found something with Ben Finley, and Talia has just been very, very hit or miss in his career at Maryland. Yeah, I'm right there with you. NC State has the momentum. I think they win this one in their backyard. I don't think that Maryland just has the momentum to keep pace with what NC State's doing right now. Yeah, I think this is a very close game. But, you know, Maryland just lost, uh, you know, star receiver Rakeem Jarrett. He entered his name of the NFL draft. Um, and yeah, NC State, they got something going right now. They got a young team, and I think they're going to be highly motivated to win. So yeah, I'm going to roll with the Wolf Pack as well. But I think it's a close one. All right, to El Paso, the Sun Bowl. Pittsburgh taking on number 18, UCLA, in this one. This one may have some opt-outs involved here. I mean, possibly DTR, maybe Charbonnet will end up opting out. And if that's the case, then this could be a very interesting game. But if those two guys are to play, I think the Bruins get it done. Yeah, I I feel inclined to agree, especially because of just the inconsistency of Pittsburgh throughout the year. Everyone kind of thought that this Pittsburgh team would do a very nice job this season, and they just ended up disappointing with losses to teams like Louisville and Georgia Tech. It's It's been a little rough over there in Pittsburgh, but they have been able to look really good at times, which is kind of the issue with predicting this matchup, especially in that game against Tennessee. I thought this Pittsburgh team was very much legit. So if that's the same team that shows up here, I could see Pitt winning it, but UCLA, if they have their guys, they're going to win. 
Yeah, and, and it also depends on um, Izzy Abanacanda's status. If he ends up playing, I mean, he's a huge difference maker at running back, uh, one of the best in the whole country. Uh, but regardless, yeah, I think UCLA, yeah, they might have some opt-outs, but I think they'll probably find a way to win. It's so close, but if those opt-outs happen, I still see UCLA winning by like a field goal. All right, to the Gator Bowl. This is one that I talked about last week, and I I got to be honest, I have no more clarity on it than I did last week. It's Notre Dame and South Carolina going at it in this one. South Carolina's had a couple tight ends transfer out. In fact, one of their tight ends transferred back to the school where he was before. I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody do that. Um, and then Notre Dame, their starter, or at least the starter for the back half of the season, Drew Pine, He's transferred out as well. Um, I guess I'm going to go with South Carolina here. I mean, well, Marshawn Lloyd did hit the portal too. Well, you know, if they're able to play without Marshawn Lloyd and whoever their other running back was against Tennessee and get it done, maybe they can do it here. it's It's just such a hard one for me to predict. Yeah, this one is definitely a wild card, but I feel like... Personally, I feel like Marcus Freeman's just going to be able to get his guys into shape for this one. And even though Notre Dame's been on a bit of this backslide, I think that – I just think they're a better team. I think that South Carolina is a streaky, momentum-based team, and they're really hot right now. But I think that stops early in the game, and Notre Dame's able to just push this one to the end. Well, it's Notre Dame in a good bowl game against a good team. So, obviously, they're going to lose. So, I'm going with South Carolina to win this game. Uh, Notre Dame, you know, hasn't won against a quality opponent in so long. Um, I don't see them doing it here. Uh, Spencer Rattler, I think, is going to play well. Uh, Yeah, these opt-outs play a big factor. But, you know, Shane Beamer has got his team rolling. And I think the momentum is going to continue. And South Carolina is going to get – another huge win to finish the year. All right. Now we are going to talk about New Year's Six Bowls. We will talk about the first one, which has a great amount of significance here on Neyland's basement. Number seven, Tennessee, number seven, Clemson, rather, going against number six, Tennessee. The Orange Bowl of Orange Bowls here in this one. Um, as far as opt-outs are concerned, we've, we've heard that uh, – Cedric Tillman is opting out of this game for Tennessee. We don't know about anybody else. It would not surprise me if Jalen Hyatt were to do the same and possibly Darnell Wright. The other side of this matchup, Miles Murphy has opted out for Clemson. He's a defensive end. And I believe linebacker Trenton Simpson is just hurt for Clemson. So that's a loss for them. They still do have Cade Klubnick, though, and they look a lot better offensively than they have all season. So, oh... I really do not know who to predict here. I, I mean, I, I want to say Tennessee, but just the fact that Klubnik has gone, came in and done better for Clemson, I, it, it just points toward the Tigers for me. I really wish I could say Tennessee, but without Hendon Hooker, I have a hard time believing that it can be done. Yeah, I, I definitely get where you're coming from, and I think that this Clemson team, had they put Klubnik in all year, they would be in the playoff. And they, honestly, I do think they're the only team that would have a shot at a national championship outside of Georgia if they had played Klubnik all year and he was able to get more familiar with that offense. But I still have faith in Tennessee, and I think our guys are going to be able to get it done just because 
we we have a lot riding on this 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 game matters way more to us than it does to them this is our first our first time back in the bright lights for such a long time it's been a very long time since we've been in a game like this josh heupel he's a guy who knows the traditions here he's a guy who knows how much this means he's going to have our guys fired up for this matchup and i'm a firm believer in joe milton i think this guy is an incredible athlete incredible quarterback i think he's just looked a little bit bad in that vanderbilt game because of the rain and i still have full confidence in him i don't think he that they were letting him run either because of the rain and once he's able to use his legs and get more movement going around he's gonna lay, he's gonna make defenders look silly joe milton is our guy he's gonna get it done I'm going to have to roll with Clemson in, in this matchup. I'm not, oh. a, I'm not a huge believer of Milton yet. He almost reminds me too much of DJ Uyungle at this point uh, with how he's played. Hopefully he proves me wrong in this game because this would be the perfect opportunity for him to do so. However, I think Clemson's defense is still just too good. Uh, Tennessee will become one-dimensional, and, and the Tigers will end up winning this game. All right, another New Year's Six Bowl here for us. Number nine, Kansas State going against number five, Alabama. I want to pick Kansas State really bad in this game. I really do. But if Bryce Young plays, and I think he will play, I think the Tide get it done. Absolutely agree. Bryce Young is a phenomenal quarterback. And Alabama, they're just one of those teams where when they play someone who's not in the SEC – they're going to win because the talent gap between the SEC and other conferences is massive, especially at the top end with a team like Bama. Kansas State is going to, I feel like, I hate to say it, but I feel like they're going to look like an FCS team against Alabama as much as they have had a great season. And as much as I want the deuce to get loose, I think Bama takes this one with comfort. Oh, I don't know. I, I I completely disagree. I think the momentum that Kansas State is on is huge. And with all the players I've seen opt out and transfer out for Alabama is insane. I mean, they're basically going to be down to their second and third string guys uh, throughout the majority of the lineup. Uh, you know, maybe Bryce Young plays, but again, there's a strong chance he opts out. Even if he does play, I mean, he's going to be going up against Kansas State's uh, starting team, practically. I think Kansas State will hardly have any opt-outs, hardly anybody, you know, opting out or transferring out for any reason. And that will equalize things, uh, that will equalize the talent. Uh, And so I think this is very close. And I think the Wildcats upset the Alabama Crimson Tide here in the Sugar Bowl. Well, goodness, I really hope that they do. Uh, Let's talk about Ananda's impressive matchup involving wildcats i guess uh kentucky going against iowa here in nashville in the music city bowl both these teams come in at seven and five will levis chris rodriguez have both opted out for kentucky this might be the worst display of offense seen all season i mean it may be worse than that opening game that iowa had against south dakota state where they scored seven points off of two safeties and a field goal it legitimately might be worse than that I'm going to go with Iowa in this one just because Kentucky has to live and breathe through those other two guys. But, I mean, this, this is this is just going to be awful. That's just the truth. By even speaking on this game, I have already said more words than there will be points. So yes, you I'm have. Just going to say, I'm just going to say Iowa, and that's it. 
Yeah, Iowa's going to get a lot of sacks. The Kentucky offensive line has been a disaster all season, and the Hawkeyes are going to win the battle in the trenches and uh, and win this game in a slow, painful death for Kentucky. Yeah, that's about how I imagine it going. All right, college football playoff now. This is a little bit more entertaining. Let's start with number two, Michigan, going at it against number three, TCU. That is in the Fiesta Bowl out there in Scottsdale. I'm liking Michigan to get this one done just because they've been there before and they are hungry after what happened last season. So I think the Wolverines can get it done. The last time TCU was in Glendale for the Fiesta Bowl, I was actually there. Um, 2012, I believe it was, against Boise State. They lost that one. I think I think they turn around for this one. I think that TCU is a little bit more of the exciting wild card team and Michigan – uh, as much as they've had a phenomenal season, they've looked really good. I actually do like this Michigan team a lot. I think they're very good. Uh, I think that TCU has a lot more riding on this game, and I like Duggan, and I think I think TCU is just going to – I think they win this game based on heart. <laughs> I, I, like, I like TCU to win this game a lot too. I'm rolling with the Horned Frogs. I'm hoping that they win the whole thing. Uh, so this is also me being hopeful just because they're that underdog team. They're not one of the big brands, so nobody's believing in them. But yet they've proven themselves over and over and over again, beating ranked team after ranked team. Yes, they're on comebacks, but yeah, it's like, who cares? They still won the game. I mean, playing better in the second half, it's better to play better in the second half than in the first half. So yeah, they could start out slow against Michigan, but as long as Michigan doesn't put up a huge amount of points early, because uh, if they do, well, then it's going to be very tough to come back because then Michigan could just control the clock as they do against pretty much all their teams. But as long as it's only within, you know, 10 points early, that's a possible, that's at least a possible second half comeback for TCU. And I think they could do it. The crazy frogs come back and, and win again and beat Michigan. All right, other side of the college football playoff now. we got the Peach Bowl, number one Georgia going at it against number four Ohio State in Atlanta. This is the third time that the Bulldogs have played in Atlanta this year, which is just crazy. I mean, they opened the season there. They played the championship there. Now they're in the college football playoff there. I mean, it's wild how they've been in there so long. And I, I think Georgia's going to win. I, I don't think – I just I just don't like seeing both of these teams playing against each other because I really don't like either one of these teams. Yeah, I, I hate both these teams too, to be honest. Uh, the Georgia fans in particular have been incredibly annoying this season. Uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous how it's gotten on Twitter, especially because way after that Tennessee game, they have been all over Tennessee fans nonstop. It's been the weirdest little obsession they have going on. I don't know what's wrong with these people, but I think the Atlanta Bulldogs get it done with ease. They're honestly my pick to win the Natty. I I don't mind the actual team themselves. The, the team themselves. Uh, I think that they're not the least likable bunch. Uh, I give that to Ohio State. I've always hated Ohio State. Uh, my bad. The Ohio State. I hate the Ohio State, but. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's my pick to win the whole thing. They've looked unstoppable. Kirby Smart's a great head coach. Their talent is ridiculous. Uh, Georgia by a million. I, You know what? I'm going to disagree with this because this is the problem for Georgia here. It's a very tough matchup for the Bulldogs. Georgia, in my opinion, would have had a much better shot against Michigan 
or against TCU. They would have had a much, much better shot. But Ohio State recruits, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia, all three of them recruit at the same top-tier level. So the talent gap is non-existent between these two teams. I mean, Ohio State has the serious talent. The other thing they've got is a superstar quarterback that can stretch the ball down the field with these elite group of receivers. It doesn't matter that Jackson Smith and Jigba is not playing. He wasn't playing for Ohio State the whole season, so it's like, who cares? He's got tons of elite receivers from Marvin Harrison to Amika Ibuka to Julian Fleming. And yes, they were able to shut down Tennessee uh, in their home stadium. But to me, you know, with all these weeks to prepare, Ohio State's going to come out with a strong passing game and they will not be one dimensional. And I think the Buckeyes, they pulled off an upset over a number one SEC team in the playoff before. I think they do it again, and we get two massive upsets in the playoff this year. All right, down the home stretch here, let's talk about the games after the New Year's Day uh, because obviously that's a Sunday. That's kind of screwing everything up this year, so these games will all be played on the second. We got the ReliQuest Bowl, but I'm going to be calling it what it deserves to be called, the Outback Bowl. That's how we all know and love it. Uh, That, of course, features number 23 Mississippi State and Illinois. I mean, maybe maybe Chase Brown opts out of this game. Who knows? That that could play into that potentially. And then, of course, I mean, everything that happened today. You, I mean, we'll just see how Mississippi State comes out in this game. And right now, what we've seen from the athletic director, he said that they want to play in this game, even with everything that's happened today. Um, I, I think Illinois will end up getting it done, though, just because, I mean, when you go through something like that, you, you just don't know how the team's going to come out. Yeah, it's definitely hard to say. And I think they definitely will play in this game because the sentiment going around has very much been Mike Leach would have wanted this team to play this game. Yep. And, you know, I, I tend to be a little bit more in, of the opinion when tragedies like this happen to a team, I feel like a team typically – rallies even closer together and they put everything out there on the line i think mississippi state is going to have a really impressive performance and they're going to win this one for mike leach i think so too i think mississippi state wins this one pretty impressive you know because of all that's happened i think they're going to play harder than they've ever played in a game before even harder than the egg bowl um just because of what's happened so i think mississippi state gets this one done for Mike Leach and comes out as the Outback Bowl champions. All right, Cotton Bowl now. Number 16, Tulane taking on number 10, USC. Both of these teams played in their conference championship. Of course, Tulane got it done. Um, This is going to be a very fascinating game. A lot of offense involved in this game. Uh, Hopefully not too many opt-outs here. I don't think there will be at least – definitely not on the Tulane side. I don't imagine there would be on the USC side either just because everybody still – kind of young has more years of eligibility left uh but i still like tulane to get it done i do too i think this tulane team is really exciting and they've got a lot of momentum coming into this one usc obviously off of that pac-12 championship loss they're gonna have a rough time getting their heads back into this one a little bit especially early on because i think tulane's just gonna come with a lot of heat a lot of momentum they're gonna be scoring a lot and if any one of these teams gets ahead of the other one by a good couple scores, it's going to be harder for 
their offense to keep coming out and score more. But it's lots of points are going to happen no matter what happens in this game. But I like the green wave to get it done. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on Caleb Williams and his health. I mean, the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, obviously, if he's good to go, then he's going to play because he's got more years of eligibility, of course. So if he is healthy enough to play, then he'll play, and I think USC will win. However, if he goes in there and he's still clearly you know, banged up from that Utah game or he's, or he's a, off a little bit, then I think Tulane will win the game. So it all just depends on Caleb Williams and his health. Um, either way, you know, it, it should be very close. All right, last of the Cheez-It Bowls. You've got number 17 LSU taking on Purdue. Loser of this game gets the weirdest record in college football. Purdue loses, they go to eight and six. LSU loses, they go to nine and five. Um, you know, with with Jeff Brom being out, I mean, it it's going to be interesting to see that how Purdue plays in that kind of awkward period where they don't have a coach, but they know another one is on the way. But right now, I'm definitely feeling LSU. I liked what I saw out of Garrett Nussmeyer in the uh, SEC championship game. And if he, in fact, is the guy over Jane Daniels, it, it wouldn't make a difference in my opinion. Yeah, uh, LSU is going to win this one. Purdue's in a very weird spot, and they played in a very weak Big Ten this year. LSU has looked very impressive throughout the season. They've had a couple losses here and there, obviously, but nothing, nothing to convince me that they are not going to win this one. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Brian Kelly. I like I hate to admit it because, you know, he's such a strange coach and he and he does some cringeworthy things every now and then. But, you know, if as long as you're winning, it doesn't really matter. And he's motivated his team and that defense is for real and the offense is starting to come together. I think LSU wins this game pretty comfortably. All right, last but certainly not least, we have got number 11 Penn State and number 8 Utah going at it in the granddaddy of them all, the grand finale this year, the Rose Bowl. Um, you know, Penn State might have the weakest 10-2 and resume that I have ever seen. The two losses that they had were against ranked opponents, and their 10 wins were against opponents that were not ranked at the time that they played them. I don't know how they got by with that easy of a slate of games to get to 10 and two. Meanwhile, Utah has been battle tested. Of course, they are the winners of the pac 12. I like the Utes to get this one done. I 100% agree. Penn state has had the weakest schedule of any team. Just about, it feels like that big 10 this year. It just, it has been abysmally disappointing because they, they can have some really interesting and good football teams when they're playing well. It's just, that type of football is miserable when they're not good because it's these teams that can't put up points. They can't, they can't do anything that is exciting. And, you know, Penn state got to play a lot of easy teams this year. They didn't have to win against anyone who was actually really good. Obviously they played both Ohio state and Michigan. They lost those games in not very impressive fashion. So I, I I'm definitely taking Utah here. I think this Utah team, like you said, battle tested, They've put together some really impressive wins, and every single game they've played, they've made sure to keep it close. Yeah, I, I like Utah to win this game a lot, too. I think Kyle Whittingham, uh, you know, the Utes, 
They were here in this game last year. It was so, so, so close, and they almost pulled off the huge upset over Ohio State, what a significant talent edge over them, and yet it was still so close. Um, and so this time, I think, in a more even matchup, the Utes are going to come out on top. It's going to be hard-hitting, great defense, two brilliant head coaches, and James Franklin and Kyle Whittingham were going to get the most out of their guys. But uh, Utah is going to win this game. All right. That is going to do it for us today on Neyland's Basement. For Dominic Drongard, Devin Hoke, I'm Tucker Harlan. We're going to see you guys in the new year, actually, in 2023. We're going to take a little bit of a break here, let the balls play out. Once we get through those, we'll get back to you right before the championship game. We'll see you guys then.